to and finally welcome to episode 81, Daz. It's taken us a long time to get uh, Tico from 80 to 81, but we are back. The NBA season is back and Daz and Daz, the NBA podcast, is also back. But first of all, I'm joined by Darren Hill. Darren, how was your off-season? Well, it's um, good to be back. Good to be back. I, was, I need some vocal cord exercises here. Um, kind of loosen it up so I've got some modus operandi, six point. 0% IPA DAS, so if I slow, if I'm a little bit slow at the upstart, don't worry, this stuff will kick in. Um, but yeah, off-season, of course, from the Bucks fan perspective, it was the, you know, the torment and the tragedy of what could have been and what should have been, you know, um, you know, watching that gruesome finals against Toronto and then uh, seeing the the abject horror unfold of the awful injuries to Clay and KD, which ushered in a um ushered in a title for the raptors so it's a a bit of you know kind of 100 days of drooling the drool of regret on the pillow of remorse a bit daz but then um right uh, time heals all wounds they go to camp um they had a really great off season and you know um so we forget and hope springs eternal so um i'm glad from bucks fans perspective and just it's just so good like i just can't i'm just so excited to tune out the nfl daz and so most of all i'm just so glad the nba is back to tune out the nfl and hopefully put this crazy china stuff behind us but yeah super excited buddy super excited yeah, look, I, I wondered uh I, I was watching your games on uh, on saturday and i thought to myself what did i do with my time when the nba wasn't wasn't there I mean, heaven forbid, did I actually do more work? Maybe, but uh, but yeah, I, I've certainly missed it. I mean, and there's just no sport that I sort of follow anywhere near as closely as the NBA. So it was great, and obviously we've we've almost every team, bar a handful, coming back with vastly different squads. It's just been so fascinating watching those early games and sort of seeing what we thought might happen, you know, compared to the reality of it. And we're only sort of two and three games in, so it's it's hard to, to make any definitive judgments as yet. But but uh, such is the nature of, of what we're going to do tonight, as we are going to look at trying to make some, some judgments uh, of certain things here and there. So I, I've seen most teams, I've seen at least a little bit of most teams um, already in the season. Uh, I, I particularly took notes on the... On the the day two actually of action, but pretty much when all the teams are, are playing, and I was just going back and forth from game to game just to sort of get a sense of how teams were playing and, and what sort of the, some of the early trends were. So that's what we'll sort of touch on tonight because we want to go over uh, our pre-season predictions. So we were supposed to do a pod a couple of weeks ago, but as you've been overseas, I've been organising a pretty big beer festival down here, so we've we've sort of been a little bit short of time in the last few weeks, uh, but we did want to go over our pre-season predictions for each conference and then sort of, I guess, look at it and say, well, do we already have some remorse over some of the picks that we may have made already uh, to this point in the season? So I'm going to start, as with your Western Conference uh, playoff teams and then I'll sure. uh, compare that to my Western Conference playoff teams. So you had Houston as the, the, the one seed, Denver two, Clippers three, Utah four, Lakers five. Uh, oh, sorry. Portland six. Portland six. 
Papel's seven. This was before Zion injury. That's right. And and uh, your Spurs number eight. Yeah, wash your mouth out for that. Yeah, well, hey, there. I have a min. Low. I have a min, buddy. Mid, that's right. Now you have Golden State on the outside looking. At, I think that was the thing that stood out to me. Yeah. Uh, looking at that, just comparing it to mine, just quickly. I've got Denver. I had Denver, the Clippers, Utah. Oh, sorry, Houston, Utah, and the Lakers. That was my top five. And I sort of thought that was a pretty clear top five to me. Then it's just the hodgepodge of teams. And I, I, you could talk me into these teams finishing anywhere. I had Golden State at six. I kind of trusted the infrastructure there. I had to have Stan Antonio just one spot higher in seven. And I had Portland sneaking in in eight. And then Sacramento and, and the Pills on the outside looking in. And Sacramento off to a an absolutely a horrendous start but what what stands out to you so far from your predictions Daz uh, and I guess obviously the Pels yeah. injuries is, is one sort of side of it but what, what else stands out to you in the West so far that you look at and think oh I'm a bit surprised by that and maybe I've got that one wrong or you're, you're more confident yeah. in your selection and think you got it right well we're very close in our predictions to be fair right so we have our top three teams are exactly the same just slightly different order I'm not going to lose any sleep. I have Houston, Denver, L.A. You had Denver, L.A., Houston. Then you and I both had Utah and the Lakers, four or five. And then the only big difference, right, is um, is sort of down. It's sort of the end of the end of the um, playoff teams. But just starting at the top, though, what I've noticed, um, obviously, I got a, a really detailed glimpse into opening night, Bucks at Houston, right? Battle of the one-two MVP, um, you know, race last year. And, and it's probably clearly the battle of good versus evil in terms of fandom around the around the NBA and around the world, as it were. The one of the most reviled players in, in Harden, you know, he who famously putting out adverts in, of his own face in the Milwaukee newspapers last year, uh, versus you know Golden Boy, ding, you know Smiley Smiley Giannis. So, and the Bucks took that game, a pretty entertaining and contested game. Um, he followed out actually, and the and the Bucks won that one, but. More interestingly, Daz, um, so that was just gets just one game between an uncommon opponent. Nothing to, it was a fun well, victory. Just on but, that, though, do you mm. think, I, I had a, a hot take from that game. I think James Harden's MVP what? campaign's over after oh. game one. Now, I know that's a, that sounds ridiculous to say, but when he's head-to-head with Giannis twice in the season and he goes out and lays an egg in that one, I feel like he's got to have a, a signature game against the Giannis or maybe against the Lakers. Like the chances for him are running out, and that home Giannis on opening night, I think he had to had to had to turn up a little bit more than he did. He was terrible, but he's he's been terrible. This is the last three games, last two last year, and this one the two last year and this one. He's Eric Bledsoe um, still does the extreme defending him to his left and from behind. And so he literally takes away the step back jumper um, and, and then can chase him down from behind as well. And George Hill also is a hell of an on-ball defender, at least it was in the game one. So I, I like your take. And I think that's, um, um, I think it's probably not actually not that crazy of a take because I'll actually double down on it for a different reason. So combined with the Bucks game when they were um, bitching and screaming, even though they had a 39 to 19 free throw attempt advantage, of course, they're complaining and blaming is my takeaway, Daz, at the top is I worry about the psyche of this team. I worry that they are still crying and moaning and talking about refereeing and 
and and doing all the flopping and I worry that the last two playoff exits is is still in the mindset of this team. This does not look like a championship caliber team who takes a punch, st- you know, takes a punch, shakes himself off and and fights back. This is a Whoa. team where if things things go sideways, Daz. Game number one, Daz. They were bickering and pointing fingers and bitching, and it didn't get much better. They eked out, e- eked one out against New Orleans in the second game by three points. And so that for me, Daz, is my big takeaway is I think they'll still win a lot of games. But number one, I worry about the mental fragility of this team. And then number two, in terms of on-court play, they might have even less depth than we thought when when D.House and, um, you know, blank dot blank, you know, who would have thought Gerald Green's foot injury was going to be a pretty major thing for this team. And I, I could already see that in, in that first game where they've got a lot of they're going to put tons and tons of pressure on P.J. Tucker and Clint Capella. P.J. Tucker to basically do everything, and Clint Capella is going to, they're going to try to have to find ways for him to stay on the floor. But man, oh man, oh man, that team is really, really thin. But my takeaway number three then on Houston to finish it off is actually Russ looked really good, Daz. Russ was the shining light in that game against Milwaukee, and um, I didn't see him play against New Orleans. His line looked pretty good, but he was playing second fiddle. He was playing a lot off ball and doing a lot of cutting he was being patient he didn't chuck a lot of shots um he did ch- you know did shoot i think one or two threes in transition but that was when they're trying to mount a comeback so to be, it's one tiny tiny sample set from the first weekend but so far so good from just looking at russ's game so that's my big takeaway at the top desk yeah i wouldn't be worried about them in the regular season but th- there's a there's a sense i get with them they remind me a lot of the clippers in the Chris Paul era and, and OKC in the Russ KD era where it's it's just like nothing what you do in the regular season matters now. You need to win in the playoffs. And the Clippers mm. never won in the playoffs. OKC had a bit more success than what the Clippers did, to be fair. They made the finals and, and obviously pushed the Warriors to seven games. Uh, the Clippers never even got to the conference finals, for goodness sake. But they were always a very good team and it's probably closer to the Clippers because the Clippers were always bitching always blaming someone else it was always the ref's fault it was a bounce of the ball, it was this, it was that and every year when they got to the playoffs the, 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 form, the form got worse and worse each year until eventually Utah took care of them very comfortably in, in the first round and Chris Paul was out of there so I wonder if this is heading the same way and it's just going to be this rinse and repeat every year. They're going to win 55 games, look good in the in the regular season. Everyone's going to write a lot of stories about them, but they're going to flame out inside the second round uh, once things get a little bit tougher. Um, the, the, the plus for them, I guess, is the kryptonite for them is the last couple of years has been Golden State. Uh, and I think you could argue even last year, if Golden State weren't there, uh, maybe Houston go on and win it. So... And, and Golden State, we'll get to them in a minute. I think it's fair to say they're not going to be standing in their way uh, this season. So that's that's the one thing I'd say if I'm a Houston fan. No one else has beaten us other than Golden State. And if you wanted to stretch it out, San Antonio when Kawhi was there. But, I mean, I, I think that's that's getting a bit too cute as well. This, this iteration of Houston, Golden State's the only one that's really beaten them, um, even when it comes to the playoffs. Well, I think that's I think that's fair. Well, in, in the Bucks, three in a row, um, in well, the other conference. Though, in, in the but playoffs. I guess so. What, what the the kryptonite though, right, is that ability to have 
to have enough um, rim protection for their rim runners, and they still do it. I don't know how they do it. You know it's coming, and they can do it anyway. The number of lobs that they still throw to Capella is is fucking remarkable, even though you know the play is coming. But it's that it's that on-ball play, right? That It's that nasty um, mother-in-law defense that Eric Bledsoe can play on ball. That's what you need um, for 48 minutes, and that's why I think the segue to the other team, obviously he's got all the publicity in the offseason, is that, you know, can the backcourt of a, you know, um, a Patrick Beverly type of led backcourt in, in LAC. And there I say, you know, can Kawhi is a probably spry enough to guard and defend someone like Harden. You know, if you come a playoff series time, Paul George probably doesn't have the quickness, but I, I, I'd, I'd trust Kawhi on an Island against Harden. Um, oh, I think they've got so, a number of guys they can throw at him to be, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so, so that's why I think uh, obviously the clips I've saw them as well. Um, I saw them kind of have a, Gee, uh, we'll get to Golden State. Uh, really fun, entertaining game. I watched only the condensed, I admit, but it looked like a blast watching Clippers um, take over Los Angeles on opening night. Kudos to NBA for you know that for opening night, brilliant. They beat the Lakers, then they just ran up and down the court um, in, in Golden State, and then lost to the. I don't know how they lost. To the, to the well, Phoenix we need Suns, to talk about the Suns because uh, I think yeah. we both. Well, I was certainly too low on the Suns. I think we can touch on them in a moment, but uh, we'll come back to them. Yeah, maybe maybe eight in suspension. Is it going to be a, a blessing in disguise with K K dot Ubre lighting up the scoreboard with his you know with his new contract? But uh, I think the Clippers are the Clippers are who we thought they were. They they've managed it. Um, even all the roster turnover, we wondered is it going to disrupt the amazing chemistry between Lou and Montrez. The answer is no. Doc has found a way to keep them on a lot of minutes and keep them engaged and keep them really effective. And you just um, you just see the, the fun that's in that team. It just looks like fun. And dare I say, you, you know, the um, the dreadlocked grunting orca called Kawhi effing Leonard even looks like he's having fun, Daz. I think the facial muscles in his face actually relax by one degree upwards. Or he went from a permanent scowl to a, you know, slightly well, less think, than permanent scowl. To be so. fair to him, I think this is where he wants to be. Like, the, the, I don't think there's any question about that. This is. I don't want to be fair to him. That fucking guy, well, you're a franchise. He threw his entire teammates under the bus for a year. He'll never, I'll never forgive him. But I, my point was, though, you know, you're right. He's he's happier. You can clearly see he's happier than fucking KD ever was in three years in Golden State, to be honest. And so that team looks like. They're built. They're built to last. I don't, I don't well, care. Well, I think too. I, I think on Kawhi, I think he's going for MVP. I think he. Mm. I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of resting of Kawhi this year. I'll be interested to see how they manage back to backs and things like that. Uh, but I get the sense, and and this is the interesting thing I think of this roster makeup. LA have got a lot of guys that can create their own shot on offense, but they don't have a lot of guys that can create for others. And you could argue they don't really have anyone yeah. that can create yeah. for others. What I've seen from Kawhi early on, he had five assists against the Lakers, and that should have been seven or eight. There was a couple of open shots that they missed. He had nine assists uh, against Golden State. I didn't check the assist numbers against Phoenix, but he only had 22 points in that game. So he was he's looking to distribute for others, and I think you're going to see... I, I wouldn't be surprised if his assist numbers are around the 6.5 uh, assists a game, which is 
high for where he's been in his career. And when you then take into account the defence that he brings, the offence that he's going to bring night to night, that's not going to wane, I don't think. It's going to really... I think it's going to be between him and Yars for MVP. I think it's it's going to come down to little things that might even be like who wins the most games. And those two games that they play against one another, who gets the better of that from a narrative point of view? Because um, I... I you know, early days, obviously, and other guys have put their hand up, started very strongly. But I think some of the guys, like the, the Carl Anthony Towns, etc., will fall away a little bit. And, and obviously, Yardis and Kawhi will maintain uh, that level. So the interesting thing with Kawhi is going to be, does he play enough games? And, and does that sort of extra playmaking, which is always the one string he never had to his bow, is that something that's going to maintain across the season? That's what I'm fascinated with with that term at the moment because they are scary good defensively. I can't believe they gave up 130 to Phoenix. But um, the, the two games I've seen them, and as I said, didn't see them against Phoenix, they look scary good on the defensive end. Yeah, I think they're just, you know, I think once Paul George comes back then you'll and you start to get into the clock turns into, you know, February, March, you'll probably see that team start to turn up its defensive intensity and find its identity. So I, I'm not going to give them tons of fault for not, you know, um, for giving up 102, 122, and 130 in their first three games. Hey, look, Phoenix caught fire. F. Kaminsky, you know, hit like five or six triples, right, in that game. And a question without notice, could you name the Phoenix Suns starting point guard in the game against the Clippers? You played 30. Yeah, you had to Google that, didn't you? <laughs> no, I literally because I, I couldn't believe I had to look at the box score after the game because <laughs> yeah. I thought, hey, yeah. the, how the fuck? Did that uh, the, you know, so we've had Javon Dot Carter and who is it? K Dot Nun in in Miami starting like a whole sun fire. Dot Robinson, I thought the admiral had come out of retirement for. <laughs> I know. For the, you know, who are they? Played... Just bringing random guys in off the street at this stage. And that nun, that nun can play. But um, we'll go, we'll get to that. So you talk about this. We'll talk about the MVP. I reckon in our quick, we'll do a quick little predictions. But I'm with you. I think he's going for it. He's played three games in in five nights pretty successfully. So I think, you know, we can perhaps um, we'll see how he plays, see how this plays out. But yeah, he's having fun. That team's super deep. Um, they are exactly who we thought they were. And um, yeah, I'm just they're fun. They're fun to watch, and they're gonna they're gonna be entertaining. Mm. Uh, we just Balmer's Balmer's energy is just is just everywhere, isn't it? And then then probably back to the top of the West with the other team where we've just sort of splitting hairs around is the there's something joyless about the Denver Nuggets, Daz. I I can't I love Joker. Joker, Jesus. Jokic <laughs> plus Joker equals Joker. Gary <laughs> <laughs> me. IPA's kicking well, in. If he lays a big egg in the middle of the court in the playoffs or something, you say <laughs> there's the Joker. <laughs> There's the Joker. Good Lord. Good Lord. But, uh, oh, you know, he was he was super fun in FIBA. Um, and he's just, he's fun to watch. But I can't, maybe you can articulate it, but I, I just can't find a lot of joy and a lot of still kind of ordinary decision-making that happens there. I think they're going to win a lot of games, Daz. I think their floor is, you know, so high with Joker and with, you know, Murray looks like he's had a really nice start to the season. Um, obviously, they got a lot of pieces there. But uh, I just, I'm not, there's just something missing. Can you help me? Well, I think what's, they're another what's team. Missing, what's missing from Denver? There's two things I'd say there. I mean, I think they're another team. They've got the continuity there. I think they know, yeah, you'd be pretty confident they're going to be one of the top seeds. Their season doesn't start until March, April, when the playoffs start. 
So I think they're going to be a little bit like Golden State were to an extent in the KD even though obviously they're not as good. But the regular season is just not as important these days to the when you're when you're one of the better teams. Yeah. It's not like they've got to experiment and say, well, I mean the only thing they're really looking at is I guess um, how do they get Michael Porter Jr. in and what happens with uh, Jeremy Grant sort of integrating him. But apart from that, it's all pretty straightforward how they're going to play this season. It's going to be rinse and repeat from last season. Hope that you can get the one seed, I guess, this time. And then let's see if, if the playoff chops um, will kick in and, you know, the playoff experience that you gained last season is going to come to fruition uh, for them. Th- so, like that's, a, that's a fair point, but I, I, I get... The- Maybe what I'm talking about is stylistically, right? Where I can, it's so quick and easy to see the personality identity of the Clippers. We know Portland's personality and identity. I'll hear some ads going off unprovoked. Sorry about that. Fucking ESPN. That's what I get for having ESPN up, Daz. I never ever so, open those. Yeah, you should. You shouldn't. But um, so, sorry. What I was saying is maybe you know we we can gauge the identity pretty quickly about how teams want to play. And maybe that's my challenge with Denver is that when they don't have a singular offensive scorer, right? Jokic is a facilitator, right? He, the, we know that their identity is is run through him, but they don't have that, you know, that ISO talent, you know, the Kawhi or a KD. They don't have the dominant ball handler and attacker, you know, like a, like a LeBron or a Kyrie or a Giannis or a, or a freaking Harden, right? Like they just they kind of, for me, maybe just lack that that offensive alpha feel to them where I just never really feel like I'm a, like they scare me. Like, I know they're efficient, I know they're effective, and they've got, you know, these weapons and Beasley and Morris, and, you know, they still play one of the Pumleys a lot, and I go, they're really deep, and they're really, they got good continuity, and I just, there's just something about, I don't sense an alpha in them, and that's maybe what I'd like to see them get is some sort of, alpha creature into that into that lineup and and see if um that might make them a little more interesting well i think a little the more... hope is that jamal murray becomes that that type of player but i don't see it i, I think um he's probably a third the third guy um and obviously ideally the guy they would have been looking at was say bradley beal um if, if they could get him in trouble. Yeah. the one that yeah. was talked about a lot but he's since signed the extension that doesn't mean that he can't that he can't be traded, of course. But uh, at this stage, it, it seems unlikely. I, my guess is that Beal's going to stay the season in Washington, and that sort of limits who they're able to bring in um, from a trade point of view, I think. Yeah. So, therefore, it's still going to go through a Jokic, and, and we saw that you get the sense, maybe we saw that movie play out last year. Um, I'm not so sure it was the lack of experience that cost them in the end. I just think that their, their style of play not necessarily suited uh, for the playoffs, particularly when you get in them close games and it comes down to crunch time. The other thing I'd say about them is, and this is a trend across the league, does these sort of players that do the mean mugging pose, have you, have you sort of noticed this? Now, Giannis does it the best, and he and when he does it, it is intimidating. But <laughs> there's a number of guys that are starting to do it, and Jamal Murray's one that does it. And there's this... Uh, there's a there's now marks that they're handing out Denver home games of Jamal Murray mean mugging. <laughs> it's like oh no, what that, that would not scare anyone. It's like, not going to scare anybody. It's no, not scare anyone. Like, no, and that's no, not no. even his identity. So it's like what what is that supposed to do? I don't get it. It's like when Steph Curry does the the flexing pose 
and it's like Steph, you're not that's not impressive. Look, go and hit the look, half court I, shot again. You just don't ask a Canadian to be to be mean, Daz. <laughs> it's just it's just not happening. Well, not you know, imagine and, Andrew Wiggins flexing and you know, Anthony Bennett. You know, <laughs> Steve Nash is scaring those three fucking guys. I tell you what. But uh, yeah, no, maybe that's it. Maybe you just maybe that's it. there's a there's not a they don't feel like they have a kill switch, do they? No. Where that's that's what they don't have. But I think they're going to win a lot of games, and yeah, I'm pretty confident they're you know the, that's probably a 50 win team even this loaded Western Conference. But yeah. I do see a little daylight between the three of them, and I think you and I are in lockstep on this between four and five. We both had Utah, L.A., Lakers, four and five. Now I admit I haven't seen. Haven't seen the Jazz play yet this year. Well, something um, to watch with the Jazz. Mike Conley looks terrible early on. I, I'm, I'm oh. hoping for them. It's only a bit of an aberration, but he has not played well in the first few games. Um, Bogdanovich went off in one of their wins, which is against Sacramento, who have just been a train wreck so far, uh, the Kings. Mm. Uh, but apart from that, yeah, Conley's been a very, very rough start, particularly shooting the ball. He was one of 16 on his debut. Um, this That's... Night. That's almost as bad as Harden, who's three for twenty-six from downtown in his first two games. Three for twenty-six, MVP, MVP. <laughs> honestly, yeah, I don't think. I don't think so I no, I haven't seen. Have you seen Utah? I haven't seen him. Play I yet. saw Utah play a little bit against the Lakers, and the Lakers handled them reasonably comfortably. It's a brutal game. Yeah, ninety-five, eighty-six. Uh, yeah. uh, they won their first game despite uh, Conley's struggles. Uh, and yep. Rubio hit some some sort of big shots. Oh, sorry, not Rubio. Uh, Donovan Mitchell hit some yep. big shots down the stretch of that one. But that one that one was a struggle as well. Like the, they 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 uh, who who was it they played? I can't. I'm trying to remember now who they played in that first game. But um, they, they took a while to, to get on top. It was Phoenix, wasn't it? The game. No, it wasn't Phoenix because Phoenix are two and one. Oh, they beat OKC, OKC and then they lost right. lost to the Lakers and then they. Oh, there was thumped. a team they were supposed to boot easily. So, yeah, I can see with them. And then Mitchell hit some shots down the stretch in that one. But, look, I think they're going to take some time to gel. That's why I had them as a four seed. I think I think they're going to get going at, at the right end of the season. Uh, and uh, we'll see, I guess, what, who finishes in the one seed because I think they'd be hoping Denver's in the one seed and, and they'd probably uh, yeah. fancy their chances against Denver more so than, than the Clippers yeah. or Houston, I would guess particularly given what Houston's done to them in, in seasons past. Uh, although they, they would be a bit more confident about how they could go this season. Uh, and, and quickly on the Lakers, I've seen... Look, this roster's just a mess, Daz. I don't know what Frank Vogel's yeah. supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, to me, you've got Dwight Howard, who actually put up numbers today, albeit against Charlotte. Uh, McGee, it's just like, I don't know why these guys are playing many minutes. I mean, I'll get... Howard could potentially play minutes when AD's not on the court, but why either of them are on the court when Anthony Davis is on the court? They played together today, Daz. I, I watched, to believe it or not, the, you got me talking about thinking about Charlotte, and that was a pretty entertaining first two and a half, three quarters, and then the Lakers pulled away. But uh, no lie, they had um, AD at the four and and uh, Howard at the five, basically with Dwight Howard just doing mop-up duty and flashing to the rack and, and hitting the offensive boards, and Ed's big is get pulled out um, to defend him, um, which was usually someone like a Zeller. Now, granted, Charlotte's not a big team on a good day, so it was a really good matchup for Dwight Howard. But he looked okay. I mean, he doesn't look like he had. He didn't look like he was. He didn't look totally washed the way 
for example, Trevor Ariza looks <laughs> in the early season. So um, that my big question on the Lakers was, you're right, the roster is a bloody mess. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, defense is optional right now. It is, that's not, it's, that's not a team you study for uh, defensive intensity assignments, uh, uh, communication with each other, help the helper. That's, that's not what you're going to see in the, in, in the forum uh, for a while. But uh, yeah, AD looks good. He looks fine. He's got tons of space to do shit. LeBron looks marginally interested, which is about probably more interested than, than you probably would expect him to, to feel this well, time LeBron's of year. LeBron's in, I've got to get everyone else going mode at the moment. So, that's exactly that's right. That's exactly so, right. He, I think he had five him. shot attempts at halftime today, and yeah. he could have had 15. He just, he just stands around and does his thing. So it is um, stuff he probably doesn't get enough credit for, to be honest. But they'll be fine. I think they'll – I don't know how they're going to get reinforcements. But my big question for them is if it's – it's not on this roster, right? Is there someone going to step up to play the the Tristan Thompson, Delavadova type roles? Is there someone going to emerge we don't expect? Is KCP got a different gear? Is Rondo got the fountain of youth? Is Alex Caruso gonna, you know, can he play NBA basketball? Is there so they need someone, right, to come and actually give them really quality minutes, um, especially an offensive spark off the bench? Yeah, and um, I guess when. It may not happen. Kuzma hasn't played yet, to be fair. So maybe there's some there's some upside to be had there. But yeah, that's um, I'm they're interesting. Right? I don't want to spend too much time talking about them because we'll have all the season oh, for them course, to talk talk about themselves. But they're interesting, right? That's they're they're interesting. I think they, I think that's the clear top five. I and mean, I'd be it's going to take injuries or something going completely off the rails for any of those teams to miss the playoffs. Um, now I think I mean there's a, there's a slightly clearer picture emerging. I think uh, yeah. Portland, I, I, I'd sort of push. I had them, uh, I think, in the eight spot. Just done that, but um, I think Portland are going to be better than maybe what we thought. Uh, Golden State are probably the team that you know. When you had them out of the, of the top eight, I had them in. Um, I, I'd be I'd be confident at the moment in saying Portland and San Antonio pencil them in. And let's see San Antonio play a decent turn before we get too excited about sure, what they, they sure. might be able to do. And they actually play Portland tomorrow, incidentally. So that's going to be an interesting early season test for both of those teams. But just does go and stay. They started Marquise Chris at centre today. Now just marinate on that for a little bit. I am. I'm, I'm still I'm, I'm just processing what you just said. Like I saw him play and I couldn't... I didn't see him play until I saw... I logged on. It was like the end of the first quarter, and I saw that Chris had played like nine minutes or something or eight minutes. I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. But um, yeah, I think you've. Um, it's two games in or three games, is it? And I mean, Looney, owned... Looney and Cauley Stein are injured, so that's why Chris is playing at the center. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, it was a, yeah. It was a genius yeah. move that Chris Steve Kerr thought. You know what I'll do? I'll play Chris at center and, and leave those guys on the beach. So they've had a few injuries, but geez. I mean, when you're sitting there saying, well, Corley Stone and Looney are out, we're in big trouble, that says a lot about your roster construction, doesn't it? And, I mean, obviously it's not necessarily their fault. This was always going to happen if KD left, and obviously Clay being injured as well. Yeah, I don't know, but you, I've spent a lot of the off-season listening to, you know, um, Ben Golliver and of the world's sort of say, with a team with Steph Curry and Draymond Green, if Draymond Green is interested 
that still should be, you know, you've got a perennial MVP candidate and the perennial defensive player of the year candidate with the the combined IQ right of a couple of shamans. They should be able to, you know, win a lot of basketball games. And they've they've been absolutely putrid. They lost by 28 to OKC and got absolutely well, and that bombed. Them. That was a that was a flattering score. It was seventy it was seventy to thirty seven at halftime. Yeah, yeah. That's why they could that could have been a fifty point game, and the Clippers absolutely right. There was no. Oh, that was just <laughs> to say there was no defense being played. That they put up one forty one without much of an effort against um, against uh, a backcourt of D'Angelo Russell and Steph Curry. Right. So I kind of go. This is why my question before the season. I just I go. My it just feels like a season in transition. You know, Draymond got his contract. Obviously, Clay is gone. Fucking D'Angelo Russell was the fakest all-star in the history of the world. I'm convinced that that trade was just about them getting an asset, not about getting the player. Like, we'll get something rather than nothing for KD. And that's and after two games, again, Tiny Sample said it's hard to argue with that. But just, I, you got to feel about the emotional cliff that the team comes off of. Clay is not around. And I just sort of feel like I, I, my question back to you today was how how long before we start hearing the the question or the chatter of, you know, should we shut Steph down? Like, how long will it take if they go 10 and 20? They need to be 50 games into the year. I reckon it'll be sooner than, than we think to try and preserve him and have one more crack if they can flip Russell um, for an asset and get Clay back 100% for next year. And well, give, I think what, what give, it'll probably be is they'll be starting to monitor his minutes, and I think it'll happen sooner rather than later, um, and just make sure they're not putting too many miles on his legs. Yeah, yeah. It might be a matter of just having him being a bit more of a facilitator and saying, look, I'm not going to go for the scoring title or anything like that. And I mean, the way he started, the scoring title seems a long way away. And he's, I mean, he's basically been double-teamed, which is not surprising given the, the players around him. Uh, as well, yeah. so it's going to be tough. I mean, and I sort of went from being pretty high on the Warriors and thinking they could have a puncher's chance of of making a run, particularly if if Clay came back later on in the season. And then you sort of the more I looked at the roster, the more I read about the fact that Clay's highly unlikely to even play this year. Then you sort of look at it and think, oh, this this could go south actually. Uh, and I think the worst thing they could do is start saying, well, we need to play Steph forty minutes a night because he'll, he'll break down and then who knows what version of Steph you might get next year when you are a chance again, theoretically, with Clay there. And I also get the sense they may start for trying to feature Russell a bit more and see if they can get Russell averaging mid-20s and yeah. then, then see what the trade market might do for him. Um, you know, does a Denver sniff around the D'Angelo Russell as someone that they need to create some offence for them. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm just spitballing there. But that's the sort of... They might start looking at, well, what, what else can we get um, from other teams and, and get some... Because they don't need another star. Like, Russell doesn't make as much sense if Clay's on this team. So then you get a couple of complementary pieces. Next season, you come in with Steph, Clay and Draymond again. And now maybe you're talking. Uh, to be a chance. I'd like to see something. My my <laughs> my my fake trade. My fake trade is something like a, you know, a D'Angelo Russell for Aaron Gordon type trade. You know, give give Orlando a ball dominant player in the backcourt, surrounded by a bunch of long rangy bigs who can rim roll and 
you know, and defend the shit out of the rim and give some someone a give give stuff a running mate, you know, to fill the lanes and grab boards and get get up and go like a Gordon. I don't know if that trade works and money monetary monetarily, but that's the type of thing I'd like to see them mm. be able to do is you know, give give stuff an athlete, give them a horse, right, that can, you know, bring the energy and let them run, let them do their thing and clear the glass. So that's, I hope it's something like that. But, um, yeah, it's a very, very ominous signs early on. Their very lack of depth really tested. They're not playing any defense without him. And, man, they started Glenn Robinson the third, as, he, and <laughs> as well as Marquise Chris. Holy moly. That is, uh, that's, that's G League stuff, man. Yeah. So, um, yeah, rough start. I had them on the outside looking in this year. I just feel the emotional floor is too low for them. And so I actually had them missing the playoffs this year. Well, are you ready to um, write the pills off with, with the injury? I mean, no, no Zion for six to eight weeks and probably longer. No Drew Holiday at the moment. He's got a sprained knee, although he could be back within a game or two. Uh I mean, they've had a bit of a tough I, schedule. I think they've got a tough schedule early. I was in, right, just on just what I saw and what I heard in the off season, and, and obviously until he got injured, and just the energy, the swagger of David Griffin, looking at the roster, it's a pretty deep, pretty deep roster. And, you know, I, I see some early signs, you know, from, from the likes, dare I say, of Brandon Ingram looks pretty good, Daz. He looks like an NBA player. Right. He certainly looks like an NBA scorer, right? So I think that's, there's some positive, there's a lot of positive signs there, and I think Gentry's a, a really capable coach. So no, I, I'm probably I'm I'm probably close to writing them off for no, I'm not I'm not going to write them off yet. Uh uh-uh. uh Because I even think a team like this, I'm not writing them off for a playoff spot, nor am I writing them off for having a really good season, because I think once Zion does come back, um, there's just too many ways they can get better. There's too many individual stories with Lonzo and Ingram or Drew carrying the team or watching J.J. Redick go crazy some nights. I think there's just so much positivity around the team. They could go 41-41 and 41 and miss the playoffs, Daz, and I think it could still well, be a positive season for them, for the fan base, yeah. right, well, and I mean, for some I of the players. I started thinking about this, and, and when I looked at this, I thought the eight seed might be up to 45 wins in the West, and I think that's, that's that's all. Yeah. I think the eight seed is yeah. going to be around about that that 500 level, to be honest, because I think there is going to be a drop-off between, and again, we're making some assumptions about Portland, and particularly, I think, San Antonio, but there, there may be a drop-off from them to, say, a Golden State. Uh, who knows, Minnesota are 3-0 to start. Uh, New Orleans, Dallas, of course, have, have looked good early. So they're the teams that might be fighting out that eight seed. And it wouldn't be surprising to see them win. Maybe 41's a bit low, but it might be more like 42, 43 wins. Yeah. So you're not yeah. completely out of it if you do get off to a rough start, even if it's a, you know, you're, you're 5 and 10 after 15 games. You've just got to try and find a foothold into the season, which they should be good enough to do. Um, and as I say, they've not had the easiest schedule either. They were unlucky not to beat Houston. So even though they're going through it, and, and, and even I think they, they could have easily beaten Toronto on opening night as There's well. Brandon Ingram was... I watched the condensed game, so I didn't watch New Orleans versus Houston, but I, I couldn't believe it, Daz. From the, he was the easiest punching bag two years ago. I admit, easiest punching bag. I, I'm watching him just carve up Houston, Daz. He was 14 for 22 from the floor, 4 for 7 from deep, 15 rebounds, 5 assists. It was crazy. Well, these it was, injuries I might be a blessing in disguise because it might mm. say, look, 
Brandon Ingram has to, well, he has to take over now. Like, what else have they got offensively, really, at this point in time, with no Zion and no Drew Holiday there? It's, there's not a lot of, uh, uh, you know, maybe you got you got JJ Redick in couple of complementary pieces, but in terms of a guy that's going to take over the offense, that's now Brandon Ingram. Well, and they got enough shooters, right, where Josh Hart and JJ Redick aren't afraid to let it fly. I think even Lonzo chucked. You know, even Lonzo got nine three pointers up. So when when Brandon Ingram is playing with surrounded by shooters, and Derek Favors doing the dirty work, and like that's a that's probably the ideal spot to see him to see him play, right? So you're right. This might be the blessing in disguise for them with Zion going out. Is just more space and more time with the ball in his hands. Um, you know, with with Ingram, so he's off to an amazing start. So no, I'm not writing him off. And I think there's a hundred ways this could still be a really good season for the Pelicans. I'm just, they're just still there. Those are going to be so interesting. There's so many things happening with Bell and with Ingram, with Drew sticking around, with JJ and his kind of his final legs with Zion coming back. It's just that's an interest. It's a team that's going to be fun to watch pretty much all season whilst they're in the thick of it. Um, yeah, I think the management two other, team that I'm looking at at the moment... That's exactly where I was going next, yeah. They're, yeah. they're the team I'm sort of looking at and thinking, this is the, the way they've started, I know they lost a tough one today against Portland, but the way they've started, it's like this is the idealised version that we would have thought. I mean, that, that high pick and roll between Luca and Porzingis, it's unguardable already. Yeah, and, it's and beautiful. Porzingis is still finding his legs. So, and they've got some guys, like Dylan Wright started well. Uh, Maxi Kluber's always, always solid off the bench. So, you know, they've got some guys, some complimentary pieces around these two that when these two are going off and getting their sort of mid-20s up, and obviously Luke has been into the 30s for a couple of games, they've got enough pieces around them to put up a competitive score. My question is, how is the defence going to hold up to a competitive enough level? Uh, yeah, the long yeah. Ball? With them, but what what have you made of them so far? Did you see any? You, you watched them today against Portland. I did. That was a really entertaining game. That's that's actually one worth watching. That was a that's a quality game. Um, two very different styled teams, right? Uh, that's just that's one. It's a quality game, and um, I will have a rant here in a second about how that game ended with the officiating. But obviously, what jumps out number one is uh, Zinger looks healthy, Daz. He's played four minutes today. He's played all three games, and he's doing zinger things. He doesn't have the explosion yet. Um, he may never have it back, and he probably was never the greatest rim runner anyway. So whilst that high pick and roll was looking good, I, it's kind of a pick and pop, right? There's not too much of a roll threat there. That's why I'm not terribly excited by both of them at the top. But um, when Zinger does play like a three out on the wing and catching, you know, catching um, inside out passes and, you know, tacking a bit of a closeout with a nice little floater or obviously spotting up, um, he's, he looks good. And I think he and Luca already have pretty good chemistry. And they're just fun. It's just, it's fun to watch a seven foot two guy, you know, try to, you know, just sort of gracefully float up jumpers. And for a guy who, um, fans may not remember this, but the game that Lou, um, that Zinger tore his ACL was also the same game where Giannis dragged his junk over Tim Hardaway's face and when he did the dunk of the year last year. So that, that game was a um, kind of a, a seminal game in, in many ways. So I remembered 
I remember him getting injured vividly. So it's just awesome to see a star back on the court. The other thing that jumped out at me, Daz, is coaching. Holy Christ. Like uh, Jalen Brunson, you know, DeLon Wright, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith can kind of jump and do things. You know, Tim freaking Hardaway still plays. Speaking of which, you know, the, the lesser Curry. I'm like, oh, my God, these guys are – these all sound like 12th men, you know, 10th men in the – in the NBA and they're playing serious rotation minutes. And this is Rick Carlisle. That's what's jumping out at me is when you've got a coach like Carlisle, a transcendent star like Luka Doncic and one other player like Zinger, your floor is higher than I appreciated. So small sample set and it's early, but that just, they just play so well in the system they have already, which is tough when you're incorporating a high usage player like, like Zinger. But um, that's what's jumped out at me as they, they look like they're having fun. Lucas still, he devolves into hero ball. Like he kind of lost in the game today with a, a couple really uh, hero ball four shots late in the game in a one possession game. Um, but, um, but they're fun. That's and I think my, quote, my, my that, question, that, that happened to them last season. A mm. bit too. They, they, their ball movement stops late in games and yeah it does it does ball and it's just it's all just threes with no ball movement yeah, they like, don't have any athletes that, yeah, yeah that's something they got to get out of their game and and you would think Carlisle might have some have some tricks up his sleeve to stop that yeah. I saw that a number of times yeah. and and Luca had some good clutch stats to be fair but they were you sort of look at it he does some of the best in the league that's yeah, right they flash that that's to right me it's not sustainable the way they the way they go about it but we'll, we'll see I guess yeah so I probably still have on the outside looking in but they they look better than I thought and and just if we could, if I get permission to to segue from the predictions into the thing that's just drove me absolutely crazy today Daz and I'd like you to, if you haven't seen it Go back and watch it. it was, I uh, saw it. The, I actually turned it off. So I, as soon as I saw it, I turned it off in disgust. Uh, yeah, this was when could... Finney Smith got the rebound. And then did Finney Smith get the was... rebound or someone got an offensive I forgot. rebound? No, Finney Smith uh, yeah, got the th- offensive rebound and then Portland and slapped Dame the stripped ball him. away. Yeah, Dame stripped him. And then they gave him, a yeah. foul. And I yeah, turned away right. disgust. <laughs> yeah, and so it was disorienting for everybody, right? So in context is that this game had five ties and 10 lead changes just in the fourth quarter. So it was literally, literally, not metaphorically, literally a one possession game the entire fourth quarter. You know, it might've got to four points at one point, but it was this awesome, just awesome tug of war, right? Really, really great NBA basketball. And so tense game, lots of fun. Uh, CJ's having one of his CJ games where just he's just hitting shot from every, off of one foot, off a left foot, off the right foot, off the back foot, a floater, a, pull up so cj's doing cj things right um which was which was fun and anyway eight seconds left in the game one possession game and dallas is down by one they miss a shot finney smith gets the offensive board brings it down and dame does a clear like hand swipes down at the floor like a pretty aggressive swipe down (laughs) instant whistle right the optics alone that looks like a hack right Mm. it's like ah and dame kind of throws his hands up but you know every nba player um you know, no one's ever committed to foul the last two years. And so, right, you don't think much of it. It looked like a big hack. And um, what happens, right, is I know this, you can challenge. So this is now one you can do a coach's challenge. And so uh, they challenged the call, Terry Stotts did, and somehow, Daz, 
in Secaucus, New Jersey, they decide that foul wasn't committed, right, by Dame. And they, I think it was then, they technically, the official ruling becomes an inadvertent whistle. And it goes to a jump ball at midcourt, of which um, Portland got the possession, made a free throw and won the game. And so I, my fucking ears and my head and my brain were exploding on, from 10 different directions about, number one, having a coach's challenge in the first place, I think is going to be a fucking disaster. Number two, being able to call a coach's challenge with eight seconds left in the game. I'm thinking, oh my God, we're turning into the NFL. Number three, being able to make a coach's challenge on a foul call, right? To go, we're now arbitrating fouls. I could see it if it's out of bounds or not out of bounds. Or did the shot clock actually go off? Or did was it actually goaltending? Or maybe, right, I could see the technical like the technical parts of the games being argued, but now we're going to have, we're going to have remote officiating of fouls after the fact. And then, it, and then number four, and you can, you can do it fouls and have it be so clear to the people in Secaucus that got overturned to basically change the outcome of the game. Right. I, I shouldn't say that, but Dallas would have had the ball down one point. Well, that would right? be shooting uh, free throws. And shooting free throws, right? Down one shooting free throws with eight seconds left. Right. And that's very different than, you know, um, down one with Portland, you know, Portland controlling the tip on the, on the jump ball. So I'm sure we're going to hear and read a lot about this. Well, as soon as um, the, the challenge came, you know, I just turned it off because I hate video review in any sport. I'd be I hope, every single I hope the fans, I hope the fans are like you oh, and me that are in, in revolt. I don't, it, it certainly won't be back next season. I'm very confident to say that. And I actually think it may not last out the season. Because I just think, no, like if that had stood as a foul and finished Smith, Portland fans aren't going to go, oh, we've got, we got a tough whistle there. You know? But you're creating more controversy and, and more, I guess, hardship for Dallas fans to watch that, even though you could look at the replay and say, well, it probably wasn't a foul. But I, I just don't get this, this obsession with we have to be sent right with, with officiating. I just I, what I we I'm I am I am exactly with you. We're not robots. This is not a science. It's not a surgical lab. It is. It's a game. We don't expect perfection. What we expect, right, is rules that are clearly understood, and the good judgment to be exercised as much as possible. And that's when I got on my rant about the Miami Bucks officiating. Heck, the two times Giannis has followed out, um, the, an off an overtime game. And Giannis is off ball on offense, just jostling to try and get position to come across the lane. It's contact we see on 100% of NBA plays in the in the league. There's contact between big men, and they called him off ball, offensive foul, fouled him out of the game. That shit also drives me batshit fucking crazy, um, which was two minutes after they called the lane violation with three seconds left in the game on a missed free throw. Which is again, we, we expect judgment, right? So I go, we will be okay, right? If you exercise as much good judgment as possible, and we understand the rules. That's why the NFL is broken in every account. We don't understand the rules, and their judgment is bad, hmm. right? And I go, that's what the NBA has generally had, right? And we have a lot of conversations around: Do you believe in eating the whistles in the playoffs? Do you believe in earning, earning the game at the end of the, sort of earning the win? At the end of games, do you believe in a little bit tighter whistles? And I think a lot of people understand that unless it's an egregious hack, 
that you know or something it's kind of just so outrageous that you, you you do sort of tighten your whistle a bit and so when they do stuff like insane loosening of the whistle like you're spying on someone to try and catch a foul is what it felt like in that game i go there's been two sort of black eyes on the on the referees early this year and like to be fair it's they the the dallas portland wasn't the referees so i should take that back this is league rules and and league sort of um, progress trying to what create perfection where there should never be perfection so so i rant is over i i i was livid that it occurred and i hope um influential people like rick carlisle and the rules committee are seeing stuff like this and shaking their heads well, like i'll make are. a second prediction around it the spurs will not use one coach's challenge all seasons so. oh that would be brilliant <laughs> They haven't used one in two the games silent, yet. The silent protest. And the, well, apparently the coaches hate it and don't want to use it. And it's sort Good. of between them. But I guess Terry Stotts today, I think that was just a Hail Mary and thought, I'm just going to use it and see, you know, what have you got left to lose? I, I agree. Uh, he couldn't know. possibly have seen the play. You no, know, it was a crowd of people in, in the lane. Yeah. I mean, and look, when I first saw it, I was like you. I thought, well, that's a clear hack. You know, and then you saw the replay and thought, oh, actually, you got all ball there, but you know, oh, well, these things. And next thing that Stotts has challenged it, and that's when I went, oh, I'm out. I'm done. I'm yeah. not watching yep. this. Like, it's just not, not good for the fans. And the fans in there, look, this is the other thing, the final point I'll make on it. In any sport, once you sit there and say, I'm going to go to video review more than you absolutely have to. You know what you're saying? You're saying, I don't care anymore about the fan day experience, the match day experience for fans yeah. in the yeah. arena. We don't That's exactly anymore. right. We're more interested in giving Charles Barkley and Shaq something to talk about in the TV studio than we are about giving people a better match, match day experience. And it just Well, and it's, a, it's the same thing, with, same thing with these timeouts, Dad. I think there's fan experience, but don't, wouldn't you agree with me, the, the worst... The, the greatest victim here is the players, where when you have you stand around for 60 seconds, two minutes, three minutes, you, you literally change the momentum of a game. You change the energy levels. You allow players to rest. You you alter the gameplay, right? And in a game like a, the NBA game is a, you know, it's a that's a bleeping battle. And so that for me is the greatest travesty when they have the, you know, these things at the end of games where just like, oh my god, why even bother? Just flip a fucking coin. You're just taking the game away out of them. You're just taking the. Well, they need you're taking the spirit look, of the game away. They need to have yeah. fewer timeouts. I've said this for years. I know the NBA yeah. won't do it because there's money involved and things like that with advertising. But I mean, I go. I've been watching more NBL this year uh, in the Australian league, and the, the, the difference in speed of, of how quickly the game goes, not necessarily how it's played when it's on the court, but how quickly the game goes when you. When there are strict timeout rules as to when you can take a timeout, first of all, yeah. And also, they only have two timeouts each a half, which why you need five, six timeouts, whatever they seem to get um, in the NBA, I just think is is just crazy. But anyway, that that's that's the rule side of it, Daz. I think we're gonna have to put up with, but hopefully it won't uh, affect any sort of big games through the year. And as I said, I would be at all surprised if halfway through the year they just say, look, we're getting rid of it. It's it's not working. No one yeah. likes it. Etc. A um, couple of final points on the West. A uh, couple of teams that have started well uh, is and now Sacramento. Just quickly on them, they've been an absolute train wreck. I don't know Whoa. what's happened there. Um, the 
yeah, look, let's just wait and see and hope they turn it around. But they have well, absolutely abysmal. Marvin Bagley's hurt already. Judas, this this has got train train wreck. Yes, it, it smells really bad. It smells like Buddy Heald got a big payday, mm. and now he's going to score the ball. Like what the f- Luke Walton's got De'Aaron Fox playing more off ball. He had Buddy Heald initiating all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, if I'm Darren Fox, I'm like, what the fuck is that about? You got, surprise, surprise, glass jaw, glass knees, Harry Giles having knee problems. What a shocker. Um, Trevor Ariza, he should retire. Mm. Like, he would make Bill Walton look spry at this point. And I mean, current day 60-year-old Bill Walton, not, you know, 32-year-old Bill Walton. Um, I don't know what he is doing on that roster. And, yeah, unfortunately, Bagley, um, well, I think he's got quite a future. Um, yeah, he, he broke a finger, didn't he? It was in that Phoenix game. Yeah, so that, oh, God, you just hope, you hope this is just a new coach with a new scheme that's going to take time for them to gel. You just hope he can keep that locker room because that's a, if they start, you know, they go, they get too far under 500, that's that's going to be, um could be a long year, but well, they're not just I hope they're getting blown out. That's yeah, problem. I know. This is what made Milwaukee so remarkable last year, right? When you bring in a whole new scheme and whole new coaching system, we couldn't believe they won games from from day one. And I go, this is exactly why that was so remarkable and why Bud won the coach of the year is that ugh, Walton has got a lot of work to do in season. So and that could be tough. I, I do give them benefit of the doubt, though. It, they spend a lot of time on a freaking airplane playing games in China or India or something. And De'Aaron Fox, you know, had you know didn't spend his whole summer, but part of the summer anyway, with you know Team USA, you know, practicing. So and a new coach, relatively new coach anyway. So I just think there's a lot of lot of stuff up in the air yet. But that's that's an ominous start. I just right? think quickly. I think he needs to shorten the roster a bit there too. I think he's and and. Guys like Trevor Reason who just sit on the bench uh, and yeah. not, not seeing good point as well. So that that's one thing I'd be looking at there. And quickly, two teams that have started well: Minnesota, uh, a three and zero. Now take that with a grain of salt. They've been playing Eastern Conference opponents, which that's like you know almost playing G League at the, <laughs> compared to the Western Conference at the moment. Uh, so that, I'd take that with a grain of salt. I'm more impressed with Phoenix's two and one simply because, too, they lost an overtime game in Denver that they could have easily won. Yeah. Um, and they're beaten. They beat Booker Sacramento. gagged it away. Yeah, yeah, they beat Sacramento very easily uh, in um, in the first game and, and, of course, beat the Clippers, which you yeah. know, maybe we'll look back on that and go, that was a bit of an aberration. But they look competent. I mean, even in the Denver game, and the thing about the, the Booker, so Booker had the shot to try and win it. What I liked about the fact that Booker, at least his instinct was to take it to the rim, and then he sort of got in line and didn't really seem to know what he wanted to do at that point and didn't sort of go up strong. Didn't I think he was halfway between trying to pass it out but not knowing how much time was on the clock. It, it sort of seemed like one of those sort of plays. So it looked terrible at the moment, but I thought at least... Because I was half expecting him to just pull up for a 30-footer, you know, uh, but at least his instinct was, I'm going to try and take this to the rim. But then he just got lost somewhere along the way. So that's that's the sort of learning curve and, and the bumps that they're going to take along the way. But 
This now looks like you get guys like Aaron Baines and Ricky Rubio in there. They're not world beaters, but they're competent NBA players. And I think they've bought a level of competence that I guess Trevor Ariza and Ryan Anderson and these guys, they were hoping would in years gone by. But maybe the, the, it's, the, the penny's going to finally drop this season um, with this team. Though early days, yeah, but have, have you seen any of them? I mean, what, did, what, what have you made so far? Mubre, to believe it or not, he's he looks like the player that Andrew Wiggins could have become, you know, if he just was a little more aggressive. Um, he's a fraction of the athlete, but he plays the way I'd like to see Wiggins play, mm-hmm. who incidentally, my favorite statistic of the year so far from your 3-0 Timberwolves. Um, on opening night, the defenseless Wolves beat the defenseless Brooklyn Nets 127-126, I think it was. Yep. If I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, what was um, Andrew Wiggins' um, on-off? He was minus twenty-seven. Yes, minus twenty-six. Oh, a one-point victory. He was minus twenty-seven as the game went into overtime. That's right. That's exactly right. Then they went. That's exactly minus twenty-seven in a tie game after forty-eight minutes. So minus twenty-six and playing thirty-six minutes. So the team was plus twenty-eight in the twelve <laughs> minutes he was off the court, and his ten for twenty-seven missed a free throw. Zero assist, shocker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he made up for all, of all those steals and blocks, Des. Oh, he did have, he has one steal and one block <laughs> for three games. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, um, Minnesota is a joke. Carlton Towns is remarkable, and everything, every, everyone else there is completely irrelevant. Wiggins is going to be soon um, after uh, well, Chris he Paul. He and... straight points today to, to beat Miami. And after doing nothing, he was just totally invisible and then comes out and scores yeah. 11 straight points. Miami and it's going to have a back-to-back after a gift but long overtime victory against the Bucks minus Jimmy Butler and Deion Waiters. Yeah. Good on you. You know, that's the, that's the no, probably totally, the totally one of the scheduled victory. But, um, but, uh, yeah, um, but, yeah, but I think Minnesota's a joke. I think Carlton Towns is going to be, I think we've talked about, if it's not Bradley Beal, Cat is the next disgruntled star we're going to start watching and talking yeah, about. I mean, well, where he goes. So the final point that we I just just keep an eye on Phoenix because I've been impressed with the start. Let's see if they can maintain it. They Fair enough. Be, Fair enough. They might be around where we thought Sacramento were, and uh, Sacramento sadly might be down where we thought Phoenix were going to be. I did have a question that, that we had a question on each each of the franchises too. Days and my question for the Suns was, is this now the worst franchise in U.S. sports? But uh, we've, we've seen the Chicago Bears have put their hand up well and truly for that <laughs> in the NFL uh, to start the season. So we might turn our minds towards the Eastern Conference. And I, and I thought it was a good segue, in a sense, to look at Minnesota and the fact that they've played three Eastern Conference opponents so far. Because I don't know. I mean, I think this is one of the worst Eastern Conferences we've seen in many, many a long day. I think you've got to go back to the early 2000s when the Nets were making the the NBA Finals does against the Spurs and the, and the Lakers uh, to see an Eastern Conference that is just this this tepid and this pathetic. Uh, you've got two really good teams in Philadelphia and Milwaukee, no question about that, and we, we probably will start with them and sort of see which way we lean there. It's probably going to be no surprise to anyone which, which way we come out there. But then the, the gap to Team 3 is just absolutely ridiculous. 
Um, and I think it might end up being Toronto again, to be honest. But uh, we'll, we'll sort of touch on that as well. Let, let's go first to the, to the top two. I mean, do you agree, firstly, that of the weakness of the conference? And then I guess look at it and who do you favour between Philadelphia and Milwaukee who are the sort of standout one and two picks at this point? Aside from the owners and a few um, season ticket holders, my question without notice is who would protest if we contracted the NBA just for this season to have the Western Conference plus Philadelphia, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee? It's a tidy 18-team league. <laughs> Literally, who is going to miss watching the Heat, the Pacers, the Raptors, the Pacers, the Vol- like, Who is going to miss it, Daz? Oh, I'm, go- I'm going... I'm going... I'm a little bit of crowd, and they deserve a lap of honour after last year, even if Kawhi's not there. So we'll, we'll, we'll throw them in for a lap of honour. Yeah, but they're in Canada, and they're, Can- Canada's <laughs> also is always for sale, and Trudeau <laughs> could, couldn't even win the majority vote, and Jamal Murray can't mean mug, and... You know, I'm fuckers not on TV anymore with Terrence and Philip. You know, I'm like, honestly, you know, none of their players showed up for FIBA, so fuck them. You know, uh, fuck, fuck them. But no, no, all, all seriousness, like, it's a, it's an abysmal conference. Um, I actually saw Toronto play. I wanted to see checking in Siakam, and fuck, he's fun. Um, and if Lowry stays skinny Lowry, like, I don't know why he cares so much all of a sudden, Dad. like, something's happened to Cal Lowry. I don't know what happened. If it was, I think it was again the near-death experience of of Game Three Eastern Conference Finals last year, knowing that his career would become a completely irrelevant. He'd be a nobody, nothing, minor All-Star once or forgotten about player in the league. You know, something like that happened to him in Game Three, and they won the mm-hmm. obviously won the whole title. But and he was effing locked in, you know, for the rest of that series and all of the finals. And he looked like it again already this, early in this season, Daz. He's a grieving, angry, not smiling, and he's not fat. He's not fat Lowry. So, uh, yeah, kudos to Toronto. I'm actually going to skip there. One and two, let's, we'll talk about Philadelphia and Milwaukee all season. Completely contrasting styles and systems and personalities and all kinds of storylines there. But, yeah, I think maybe you're right. The interesting part of the East is this. Is there any going to be anyone serious going to emerge to be a, a credible 3-4 sort of seed? And um, to be fair, I think Toronto, you're right, is probably showing early signals of being being that team. Although I, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, uh, I wonder how long this energy will last. Their first three or four game losing streak, when we all actually remember that Fred Van Vliet is short, fat, slow, and can't defend. He can only hit 81% of your three pointers in the series <laughs> so often, and and have that carry you. I'm only half joking. He's he's not a very good player, Daz. He's he's like the three point shooting, um, you know, McConnell, TJ McConnell. Oh, look, I think when he's, he's hitting a, his shots, he's very valuable. When he's not hitting his shots, he brings nothing. He, he's a complete liability. But um, but I'm just going to take it as a big lump. So I actually like what I've seen from Toronto. Lowry looks like he's breathing fire. He gives me one of the things that oh god, I'd love for him to be on the Bucks. You know, give me a turn cloak. You know, give, give me a turn cloak. Right, the KD went turn cloak. I'm like. Man, flip me Bledsoe for, for Lowry. Blood, get, please, God. We'll throw in a pick, Masai. Um, so he looked really good. On the other end of the spectrum, Daz, oh my goodness. I don't think... Have they deleted the word defense in in New York dictionaries? Like Brooklyn... Well, we Brooklyn's, both had Brooklyn oh, as a three, didn't we? And, um, and, oh, dear, Daz. Again, yeah. it's early days, and... 
I know Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue were both on this early and they said they're going to be horrendous defensively. And I sort of thought, ah, look, I, I, you know, I thought, yeah, they're going to take a step back, but gee. Oh, I mean, Memphis gosh. just scored at will on them today. Memphis. I know. A rookie erratic point guard, right? <laughs> scored up, going up and down on them. So I think Kyrie, so I think Kyrie is on his, um, Russell, I think there's a guy in an MVP or at least a scoring title um, hunt. I think you've got Kyrie on a scoring title hunt, um, and everyone else just getting theirs. But I think Brooklyn, I had the number three boy. That's looking like a really bad prediction. Um, Miami, I, I'm a little – I don't know if I'm worried about the Dion Waiters and Jimmy Butler situation, but they've both been out, you know, Jimmy with the birth of a birth of a kid. But it's pretty unusual to skip three games for the birth of a child in the NBA, Daz. That's not that's not normal, um, especially at the start of a season. Um, so I don't know if there's any medical circumstances or family circumstances, but they announce it in kind of a shrouded way. Yeah, so he's yeah, out for personal know. reasons, and then a day later it came out that it was the birth of a kid. Mm. So, and then Dion Waiters was I think it was um, some behavior detrimental to the team. Oh, and he got sus- Forget Dion Waiters. He's washed. He's, yeah, but I, I hear you. I hear you, but my point is, I had them my preseason of four, which is about as deep in the in the East as I want to talk about. But um, just because, again, great coaching, um, fitness, all the things we like about them. Dragic, like he's got his legs back, uh, but James Johnson's gotten fat. Uh, Deion Waiters is off the reservation. Yeah, yeah, he's out. Of, he's too shape. Um, so Miami, boy, they've got they just have so little room for error there but um with, with their lack of athleticism in particular they'll run you to death but they just don't have any athletes and obviously very limited scoring there but on the flip side i love bam Adebayo. he's a brilliant rim runner great energy tyler hero looks the part um he looks like your guy herder in atlanta just a nice mm. just a nice solid uh sharp shooter who can do a little bit just enough on defense and rebounding to be interesting so i think in the end of the year that they'll still be in the mix and then perhaps the team, and I'm going to stop rambling and let you jump in, is that um, so thumbs up to Toronto, thumbs way down to Brooklyn. We'll see about Miami, but Boston, Daz, oh, dear. I don't know I don't know what school of thought um, Stevens goes to for, for, his, for his offensive scheme, but I, I think it might be the same system the Spurs ran in 1984 with Mike Mitchell and Dave Wood and Artis Gilmore shooting 17-footers because I what was the stat we heard from the first game of the season? They shot 43 shots outside of the restricted zone, outside of the paint, or was it restricted zone? Anyway, 40, 43 mid-range jumpers in their first game. Jalen Brown doesn't look the part. Tatum's still doing Tatum stuff. And surprise, surprise, Kemba Walker's not as good as Kyrie Irving. And Daniel Tice couldn't. You know, he couldn't stop, you know, Joel Embiid's left foot that opening night. And I, boy, oh, boy. Well, that's where the, uh, the problem's going to be. I mean, they, they've got no room. They've got no interior presence. Uh, and they they haven't actually got a lot of shooting on this. Yeah, they're like, shooting. It's all, it's all yeah. mid-range stuff. So, I mean, I, you know, that, they may pop blush with that, that shot chart in the first game. Oh, man. You know, even the Spurs, no, they've got to throw out a few shooters. At least to keep you honest. Um, they haven't got anyone, really. But did so. you see? Did you see? Did you see Hayward though? So I guess it glimmers of hope that 
he doesn't have his lateral quickness. He still can't. He can't to the rim. He can't finish, and he can't explode. But he does look. He does look better. He looks well, more comfortable. He looks more. The looks game. more fluid. Yeah. I mean, both teams look like they were playing in molasses when I saw it, and I don't think Philly are going to be a very exciting team to watch this year. I think they're going to slow games down. They're going to kill you on yeah. the defensive end. They're going to strangle the life out of those games. Um, so I, I and, and that's exactly what they did to Boston. They just seemed to strangle them. Um, yeah. And I think some of those mid-rangers, part of the, probably Philly just saying, these are the shots we want you to take as well. Probably. Because it felt like they were yeah. just completely on top. And to be fair to Boston, I mean, they, they came back and beat Toronto in the next game. So... Um, We'll just sort of wait and see, but I'm not a fan of the roster construction there, and I know that they probably didn't have a hell of a lot of choices once Hawthorne yeah. left. But yeah. to go into a season with no power forward and no centre, that's really of an NBA calibre. Like they're sitting yeah. there playing Williams as a, as Cantor Williams and Tice. Cantor's yeah. not has never yeah. impressed me very much. I mean, I think Cantor's okay in, in the right matchup. He's very matchup dependent. Uh, against a guy like Joe Elliott, he really can't even be on the court. Uh, and then, of course, Tice is just, you know, he's just bleeding. Yeah, he's, yeah. Like, there's not much yep. doing there. So I, th- I think. But tons of pressure. Are you with me, though? Tons of pressure on Brad Stevens, though, this year because, it, you know, he's gotten off so bloody easy, right? Because everyone threw Kyrie out of the bus last year and blamed it on, on, um, on Hayward's kind of. Well, that's you know, inability to get back. It was all Kyrie's fault. And, and, and yeah. under no circumstances can we have the two great white hopes in Brad Stevens and... Yeah, and the Hayward. teacher's pet. That's, that's right. right. So this yeah. year, and, and Hayward, to be fair, looks a bit better. So that's that's a positive for them. But still, you know, they they, they need to make a trade, I think, and, and you know, sort this roster out a little bit better than what it is. Because at the moment, you've got the best five players are smart, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Haywood, and Tatum, who are all good players in their own right, but that's not a five-man unit you're going to run out. Yeah, that's on, on together. So who? And maybe you? this is where we—it's hard to blame Ain because you say, "Oh, if it was Jason Tatum was the thing that was holding him back from an Anthony Davis trade," uh, then I think we've probably come to understand that Davis probably wouldn't have re-signed no. there anyhow. No. And so maybe the Ainge has done the right thing in not trying to do the Kawhi one-year rental this year with, with AD. Although you imagine AD in that lineup with, you know, instead of Jason Tatum, and you kind of go, boy, now we've got something, now i got something interesting, the inside out between Kemba and him. Now you've, now you've got me, got me talking a contender in the, in the East, but uh, yeah, there, there are a couple of trades away from, from being interesting to be honest. So I, I'd probably, yeah, they're obviously they'll be in the playoffs in this garbage conference. But well, I'll tell you the, t- the got, team quickly too, Daz, that's, I think the fan base needs a bit of happiness oh, about the start of this season. Atlanta. Atlanta. Because yeah. DeAndre Hunter looks really good. And, and it's just a team that makes sense when you're watching it. And you, and obviously, look, they're, they're probably still two years away. But Trey Young's been outstanding. I mean, and, and, and the Trey Luca is is about to start getting real. Because all these people that say, oh, it's not even a debate. You, you're kidding me. Watch this kid play. Like he had been on the Trey Young bandwagon, as you know, from day one. I do. You were. Uh, that this kid is special. And he, the, the ceiling is because he's such a good passer and he just reads the game so well. If his shooting can get to the levels 
that, and, I, and you know, he's never going to be a Steph Curry little shooter, but that's historic. You know, but if his shooting can get to that, you know, the, the rung below that even, and then he started the season, that's Steph Curry levels, to be fair. Um, there's only what the ceiling's going to be for this kid. Dad, he had, Dad, he had identical games. The first two games of the season were 38 points, 9 assists, and 7 rebounds on 11 for 20 from three-point land. I mean, he's, he's that's spots, video man. game. That's, that's He can get to wherever spot he wanted the court, he can get to. And then it's like James Harden the without passes. the cheating mm. and the insufferability and the <laughs> anger and right and everything else. It is, he's a yeah, special, two games, special but, player. And look, yeah. Hunter looks, as I said, Hunter looks the, the part early days again, but for a rookie yeah. to come in and start and play well, and I'll tell you who looks good, and he's still young, is Jabari Parker. <laughs> that's, he looks, hey, he's been the, he the bench good. spark, hasn't he? Yeah. And that, but that's that's his game now. That, that's really what I thought they would do with him in Chicago, and it just didn't work out. It actually makes sense that this guy just comes on as this instant offense off the bench. There's Hard no to believe he's, he only, he's only 24 that. years only 24. old. There's Same no age no as Giannis. He can't that's do right. that for a couple yeah. of years. He's never going to play defense. But no one on this team is going to play defense. So that that's And I think that's where Hunter's going to be the key. Can he give them some sort of an defensive identity um, yeah. as he sort of grows into his body? So, do you have them as a playoff team? So I still had I them. I didn't know, and I'm still still hesitant to say they're a playoff team. But it's such a it's such a mess out there. So, I mean, Indiana look really terrible um, in the first couple of games. <sighs> I mean, Cleveland just blew them out. And I tell you what, I watch Cleveland. <laughs> I watch Cleveland in their first. Game. Why did and you I'd, watch Cleveland? What's wrong with you? Well, it was the first oh, I game watched Charlotte, morning. so, okay. Um, yeah. So Cleveland blew them out, and I watched Cleveland against Orlando. Because the thing about Cleveland was, I Cleveland thought... Cleveland Orlando. Well, I thought at least Cleveland... The reason I watched Orlando, I wanted to see Fultz. But I also thought, Cleveland are at least going to be fun. Like, they're going to play fast. They're going to, you know, get out and run with these two young backcourt players. Does they didn't play fast at all. They were just pounding the ball... Really? Down the, down the, I haven't watched them yet. Kevin Love down yeah. Now, they didn't play fast in that game. I didn't watch the game against Indiana. They might have been something different there. But they just weren't... Ex- there was nothing exciting about them. There was nothing interesting. It was just... And they played terrible. And you just... Well, you know when Malcolm Brogdon's 30 points, something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. Right? Well, like, that just and, can't... and they lose. <laughs> I mean, well, that's what I mean. There's no way when Malcolm Brogdon is your, your leading scorer and your leading field attempt at 18 shots, right, compared to Miles Turner 9, you know something's gone very, very badly. Well, it's right? interesting, like that. too, that you've had two teams where players have sort of made a bit of noise in Sabonis and Buddy Heald about getting extensions. They've gotten their extensions, and both of these teams and both of those players have started the season absolutely abysmally. So you wonder if there's some locker room issues that, that carry over from that sort of stuff from the off-season. Yeah, you wonder. You wonder. Most guys mostly cheer for the for the other guys to make money, though, right? Because you want to be next person. You want to be the next one to get that deals. But but that's a that's an interesting observation, though. Um, yeah, I didn't realize that Indiana couldn't. They got bombed by. Clint. I didn't realize that. I I, I missed well, that one. Lo- smashed by Detroit as well. So they've off to. A, oh, they lost. The, oh God. Yeah. You talk about uh, Sacramento off to a bad start. Boy, Indiana of, uh, and Indiana were a team I think everyone had penciled into the playoffs. And obviously, once Vic Oladipo comes back, but who knows when that's going to be and knows what he's going to look like. 
Um, this, yeah. this is a real yeah, that, so that's a team that's probably I'm, I'm let's let's give them another week or two but they're in a bit of a dustbin and they need to turn it around yeah and they're so they're so boring I can't even bring myself like I don't want to talk about them I don't want to talk about the Knicks I don't want to talk about I might talk about Lowry marketing but I want to talk with the Bulls and some pretending Zach Levine's a good player I don't want to hear this sort of stuff I don't want to talk about the Thomas Bryant you know, Washington Bullets, Stroke Wizards. The biggest news there is that Adidas is dropping John Wall. They want to get out of the five-year shoe deal. That's how bad things are there. Like, hey, mate, you know, remember that deal we signed? Yeah, I don't want you endorsing our product anymore. Like, I don't want to talk about Cleveland. I want to talk about, I go, who, that that conference does. I'm an East apologist, right? And it's, I can't anymore. It's, a, well, it's an I'm absolute look, abomination. I've been conferences for years. You know, I've been, another bandwagon I've been on. Yeah, you and Ben Golliver. You know. Sooner rather than later, because it is a, it's a disgrace that we're going to be watching some of those teams um, in the play, in the playoffs. I will say this about Washington was surprisingly competent. Now this might say more about San Antonio as we see San Antonio play some better teams, but I thought um, Rui Hashimura looked all right for them, uh, and Bradley Beal hasn't played all that well either so far. So I think we should, Washington might win a. They're probably going to be around the thirty mid thirty wins mark, which is sort of, I guess, exactly where you don't be at the moment. But um, <laughs> Moore just quickly, he reminded me of Lamarcus Aldridge. That's all I'll say about him. So, um, that, 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 if that doesn't get you excited to watch the Wizards, I don't know what, what would. So, let's move more. To As, uh, what's that? Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark's an athlete. You're talking Gonzaga guys. We miss Brandon Clark. He's looked really good. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. yeah, but look, let's let's move to the top of the conference. The two teams that would actually do okay All right. in the West. So, Milwaukee, Philly. Um, I'll, I'll say my bit first. I mean, I've got my prediction for the end of the season. I've got the Clippers and Milwaukee in the finals, and I'm picking the Clippers that Milwaukee. I hate to tell you, Daz, but fine. I think. Everyone's getting a bit carried away with this Philadelphia team at the moment. This this is a team that has zero depth outside of that top five. I mean, mm. if it was just five, if it was five on five and you couldn't use subs, I'd say, well, maybe you can talk me into them. But at some stage, depth depth does matter. I mean, even you look at Toronto last year, like there were moments some of those guys had off the bench that were critical. Right, even mm. when Nick Nurse, you know, minimised his lineup. I just think when your sixth best player is Mike Scott, I think there's a limit on how good you can be. And you're, and you're one injury away with that top five. And, and give me a break with this, all this thigh stuff. I mean, the, the kid's a rookie. Yes, he looks like a good defender, but to think that he's going to come in and be a shutdown player and, and a big contributor for this team, I think is fanciful at this stage. I just can't talk myself into If Mike Scott's your sixth best player, you, you have a ceiling. And the ceiling is not the NBA Finals. Yeah, I'm. I'm just wait and see on this team. You know, I've been banging on for a long, long time. I think the combination of Simmons and, and Embiid is flawed. I don't think either player can be maximized with the other one on the court. I'm very confident in saying that. I think Al Horford's going to be a really positive, sort of calming influence on that team. Um, so I think that's a that's a positive thing, but I just I can't I just can't get behind um, a Ben Simmons a Ben Simmons Joel Embiid team e- emotionally. 
or from a basketball perspective. I just don't, I just don't see it. They're just too crowded. Tobias Harris is too mid-rangey. You know, they were, what, the game that they won were seven for twenty-nine from downtown, Daz. So that's a that's a very few attempts and a very poor percentage. They just got you're going to be clunky, clunky spacing. And you're right that 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 bench of Tybal, Corkmaz, James Ennis, and Mike Scott, who will brother, right? That is uh, that that's razor thin. So um, I'm they are still they're so physical, they're so big. Um, Embiid is fantastic if he's if he can play, you know, 65 games this year, if we can get that from him, he's a unique force. So, um, and they will bully teams. Well, just... they're going to win games 87, 83. You know, that, that's the thing about them. Yeah, they probably will. Yeah. But again, another team under pressure from a coaching perspective, right? Quinn Snyder's under some pressure this year. Well, not, not pressure because he'll get extended, but I think it's a big year for coaches, right? Snyder for Brad Stevens, for Mike Malone um, to do something different for I'd even say for Brett Brown right a lot of pressure on him they spend all this money the process is well and truly over all the all the, the cupboard is done all the extra picks this is your team and you, you didn't have you lost or gave away your alpha in Jimmy Butler that could be either the most brilliant thing or the or the, the thing that gets them all fired and we don't know that yet but I think there's a lot of volatility about in terms of playoffs this year with this team Right. I think they're 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 going to steamroll so much at the East, but I I just can't find. It's going to take them a while, I think, to find their identity, especially on offense. So, um, yep, they're the number two team in the in the East for sure, but lots of questions. Well, here's what I like. I mean, I think with the Bucks, it's it's probably going to come down to the same sort of questions that they they weren't able to answer last year. Is you know, in tight games. Can you manufacture ways to get a bucket outside of the system? You know, and I think that's that's right. That's the that's what I was encouraged by in the Houston game, where Buds just basically said, "Giannis, you just take over the game," and Giannis scored or assisted on sixteen straight points. And then when after Giannis fouled out, they went, "We're going to post up Brook Lopez down low for a couple of possessions," and it was just a couple little things that just outside of what the normal system that they would run when they needed it and I thought and this is what I said to you a number of times last year do the Bucks have a plan B and I never felt they had a plan B I just think they said trust plan A and plan A will come through and it didn't at the end of the day and maybe they tried plan B at different times and it, and it didn't work out but that to me Look like something that I thought. Yeah, I'm, I wish I had have seen that in the Toronto series, and you probably watched that Toronto series much closer than I did. Well, every minute I of it, but I can't remember him posting up Brook Lopez, right? And, uh, and no, like posting up Brook Lopez when he's so, so. Look, okay, that's that's the common narrative, and that is that is the question that's been um, labeled and put in stone on this team, and sort of wrapped up as that's the question what we forget is that was we were one possession away from from 3-0 toronto shot 39.8 percent in the conference finals the buck shot 31 percent from three so both teams were well off their season averages that's prone to happen in small samples after six games it so happened that the teams went in opposite directions and and i just still think it's the I think it's as simplistic it's as simple as that. 
one or two shots go down, we don't we're not having this gigantic conversation about the national best player ever, Kawhi. It's a one or two possession series that was. If Toronto goes down three nothing, Daz, this is I'm sorry, it's over. They're not winning four in a row. So um, we forget just how, f- how fine a line it is between um, having parades for a champion and one or two possessions, and that team is forgotten to the history books of complete events. I really pr- truly believe that. That being said, right, it is unequivocal in the playoffs you, when, it's, when the defenses are all locked in, adrenaline is at peak, peak, peak performance. You have to get a quality shot. That's what Kawhi Leonard can do. That's what Kyrie can do. That's what LeBron, that's what KD, that's what champions can do. And the Bucks could not do it. So that still, though, is, I don't know if it's plan B, but I think plan B is um, Giannis get better. Be more like LeBron, right, which is stop facilitating, right, which is what he did. It was very different. It was the same, similar style. If you go back and rewatch LeBron to 2006-2009 era, but Le- Giannis got walled off by giants, by very, very skilled Gasol, by help in in Ibaka, and uh, digging down with the power of Lowry and in Kawhi. There was hands, arms, and passing lanes in his way all the time. Now, what are you going to superstar? You're the MVP. Make this team better. And so that, for me, is it's going to be as much Budenholzer as it is Giannis. Now, okay, one possession game, two minutes to go, defense is tightened up, what are you going to do? You can't go to your spin move because you're going to have three guys there. You can't do your Euro step because you've got three guys there. What are you going to do? And so that's what I even see in this game the Bucks lost to the Heat the other day, right? They're up 21. The game got, they just they stopped playing, and they got super, super tight. I saw I saw Giannis make a bunch of shitty decisions. Pull up, for, he was open, so he shot a twenty footer and bricked it. He wouldn't, so he shot a pull up three early in the shot clock in a two minute two minutes left and clanked it. I saw him shoot a turnaround fadeaway, right, like an early post move, like just to get a shot up. So my theory is, Daz, is less about Plan B. But I think Plan B in terms of scheme and system, and Plan B is Giannis make more plays. Or Giannis, find a way to get a quality look in a one-possession game with a minute to go. So that's what I think is happening, is they're stretching they're stretching him out in terms of what is he capable of. Can he create things before, before defenses get set? Or when defenses get set, what are you going to do? You can't just listen to Reggie Miller and go, oh, if he gets a three-pointer, that ain't good enough. He's never going to shoot 35%. He'd be lucky to shoot 30%. And even if he shoots 30%, you would to have him take that shot, especially in the playoffs. And so that for me is I don't know what it's going to look like, but playmaking of some variety I think is the way that team sort of progresses. And good luck doing it against Embiid and Simmons and you know even a tie bull, a bulldog like that, and a Jason Richardson. Jason Richardson? Yeah. Josh Richardson who can dig down. Jay Rich. So I go... I'm already I'm already looking forward to it, Daz, because th- that that's that's what I think it is. You're the MVP, all right. Make your team better, or are you just going to be James fucking Harden and having great great stats across the board? So um, that's Plan B. Yeah, I mean, look, and I think the surrounding cast. I, I'd like to look at Wes Matthews so far. There was a question mark whether 
uh, whether he was washed up, but gee, he looked good, particularly in the Houston game. I didn't catch as much of, of the Miami game. That's looked good in the Miami game as well. So that actually, that might, if that lessens the blow of the Brogdon loss, I mean, because theoretically, Wes Matthews might even fit better with this team than Brogdon does. And I also think, I'll come to Eric Bledsoe's defence a little bit. I think the, the, the criticism of Bledsoe has been a little bit overblown. I mean, he didn't play well in the Eastern Conference Finals, but he played. But the, you remember the knock on Bledsoe last season was he choked in Boston. And, oh, let's, let's see him do it in Boston. Well, we saw him in Boston. He raised the ghost there, and then he, then he fell over in the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, Kyle Lowry did that for a few years too, and then Kyle Lowry finally got over the hump this year. This might be the, the moment for Eric Bledsoe where he gets over the hump. Um, in a big game in the Eastern Conference Finals as well, so I'm not. And he was sensational last year in the regular season and in the first two rounds of the playoffs. So I think people are being a little bit too harsh on him, just for the fact that uh, he didn't have the greatest of times in mm. the Eastern Conference Finals. So I'm still holding Eric Bledsoe stock, put it that way. And I think it's a nice contract that the Bucks got him on without a doubt. I think the the, the swing player for the Bucks is going to be Chris Middleton. I mean, if they're going to win the title. Middleton's going to have to, whether it's whether he plays a Siakam type role and he just has a few big games they need it, or whether it's a matter of him averaging 24 points a game across the, the course of the playoffs, I'm not sure exactly how that's going to look, but certainly they're going to need, I think, more from him than maybe what they got last year. Although having said that, I thought his, his defense that he played on Kawhi Leonard in the Eastern Conference Finals was was outstanding, and that it probably, was yeah that probably hurt his offensive game to some degree um, yeah. as well in that series. So he he probably needs to maybe up the two way level a little bit more. But again, I, I think he's a guy that's been a little bit unfair in my mind for what happened in the past. But he, he, do you agree with me though? I think he's the swing. That's player. a fair point. <laughs> I think we said offline as well. It was like. Also, in the I'm not necessarily holding Bledsoe's stock. He is not an ideal fit for the Budenholzer Let It Fly system. Let's be clear, right? Because he gets so many goddamn open looks that Giannis creates, he almost can't help but shoot five three pointers a game. And Bledsoe almost shoots a, a set shot. Does he's not a natural? He doesn't have a natural stroke from 25 feet, right? But he's first team all defense and deservedly so. And um, that's what he gets paid to do. It's paid to be a better version of Marcus Smart, which is unbelievable mother-in-law defense, a rugged, rugged athlete who almost never gets hurt. He can, unlike Marcus Smart, he can break down a defense and get to the rack, right, with his speed. Just don't ask him to shoot 25-footers, right? That's just not him. And he's prone to a boneheaded play, but Giannis had eight fucking turnovers against Miami. Everyone has boneheaded play, so. But you're right. But I think Middleton is who he is. This team, I believe it. That's why I think plan A for improvement is Giannis getting better and more plan make, more playmaking. Plan B is just even more shooting. Enter Wes Matthews with a quick trigger. Enter Kyle Korver. Enter Ursan Yulyasova, who seems to never age. Right. So I think that's the and that's I think the Bucks' plan is just have so many possible options. Um, where they they had Toledovic and then they had Miritich. Right, they just had kind of like they always had that one gunner, but now they've got gunners kind of all over the floor. So that for me is Plan B is just give Giannis more targets to hit and give them a better chance to hit open looks. I don't think it's going to be some scheme, and we'll see. We'll see if he goes down in history here as the is is the um, Dwayne Casey who just couldn't get a team over the hump 
um, or not, or um, he might be let off the hook by coaching a transcendent um, generational superstar who does. So, um, but I think I think we're all kind of in lockstep. This is a two team, two team conference. Boston just doesn't have the depth or the size. Um, Brooklyn has no defense to speak of. Toronto could be pesky and interesting. They could probably win two games out of seven against anybody, at the, you know, in the East um, at the moment. So you never and never bet against Masai doing something interesting, clever, and creative to make that team um, a real pain in the ass to somebody. So um, uh, yeah, that's, that's all. I think that for me is all the East. I think even the, the bottom teams in the West are still more interesting than the bottom teams in the East. You know, the Knicks, you know, the Magic, the Cavs, mm, nah. you know, the Wizards. And there's not much, not much <laughs> interesting happening over there. I mean, the issue going to be Hawks, Hawks, Sixers. Let's, let's see just how yeah. that is. That's going to be Studying contrast. Trey, yeah. How Trey goes against uh, what, what we, we believe will be, if not the best defense in the NBA, certainly the top two or three defense mm. there in Philly. And uh, the Warriors play the Pels. That's going to be an interesting little term of two terms that haven't won a game. <laughs> one forty one to one forty. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and the Celtics play the Bucks later on in the weekdays, so we might get to find out a little bit more about Celtics. That's but that's Milwaukee going to Boston. Uh, that's cool. on, on Thursday our time. So a few games to look forward to. Daz we're gonna try and do this uh, once a week if we can. Uh, on Monday nights and uh, across the course of the season and uh, look, we're we're looking forward it's been a great start to the season Uh, let's just hope we've already had a couple of injuries so let's just hope that the injury bugs stays away uh, from most of these teams and and we can see the best players on the court yeah we lost and we also lost um, DeAndre Ayton to a diuretic which is really weird um, which I've come to learn was, you know, uh, just something he takes for his literates. The reason I guess it's something that can be used to mask performance-enhancing drugs. But from a guy who's been been looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger since he was 14 years old, yeah, I think this is, this is this is hard to believe. It's just that it was probably an accident. So really bad luck for the Suns, but hopefully they can. Uh, and there's no other big injuries yet. I think we had a broken, badly broken finger. Oh, John Henson's out two to four weeks. That's the only, that's the only other one. Oh, and we saw today that Zach Collins dislocated a shoulder. So I'm sure that's going to be a couple days or that's going to be something really bad for surgery, surgery. But that could really hit. That could actually be a blow to Portland's off-front court depth. Oh, um, yeah. get, losing Collins, yeah, would be tough. But, yeah, so, the, war, the war of attrition is on. Well, if you're playing daily fantasy, pick up Hassan Whiteside because he usually gets about 25 rebounds against the Spurs. So, uh, that's and he's that's looked good. He's looked good too. He looks all right. Yeah. He puts up counting stats, that's for sure. So uh, let, let's see if he impacts winning as the season goes on. I'm, I'm still not yeah. convinced about Whiteside. All right, Daz, good again, mate. We'll uh, we'll catch up again next week. We'll, we'll no doubt look back on the uh, Bucks celtics and uh, hopefully we, we're not... Uh, um, reading our, our Boston uh, predictions from this week, uh, one week to the next. Based on what I've seen from Daniel Tice, I'm not sweating <laughs> just yet. <laughs> All right, buddy, that was All fun. Right, we'll uh, have a good week too. See no you, worries, pal. Mate. Bye. Bye.